You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. People forget that love is based on truth. When you take truth away, you actually lose love also. People talk about love being tolerance, but tolerance of what is evil only hurts the people that you're being tolerant of. It doesn't help them at all. Real love exposes sin and brings down the hammer of judgment upon them so they can see it and repent from it before they actually get judged by the greater judge and the time of judgment that is to come. To judge or not to judge, that is the question. Well, at least it's the question that Pastor Tom will be getting into in today's message. Judgment is one of those words that in today's society typically leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. But are we called to judge with wisdom, or is it something that we should avoid altogether? Let's see if we can gain some insight into what judgment looks like as we continue to live a life seasoned with grace. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 4 as he begins his message. Who are you to judge your brother? The Bible is clear, and it's a clear revelation from the mind of God to us. And it is a clear revelation about the express will of God. What does He want for our lives? Really, we're most blessed to possess a Bible and have it and to learn from it and to teach from it and to exposit it on Sundays. Nevertheless, the Bible does contain some things that are difficult to understand, some teachings that are hard to piece together. Some of these teachings don't really seem to mesh at first. They don't seem to readily fit together. It takes a little more reflection to know how both of the teachings within Scripture fit. It is the same Bible that instructs us to abhor evil, for example, that also urges us to love the very people who practice the evil we are to abhor. It takes thought. How can I do that? How can I have zeal for my God and hate sin against God and be surrounded by those who are blaspheming God and living immoral lives and love them as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, we were told by Jesus, or the Jews were told by Jesus, make no oath at all. But other scriptures don't forbid it. And we see Christ being put under oath and God taking an oath and godly men under oath. Harmony sometimes comes only after considering each divergent context. Ephesians chapter 4 has another interesting thing, a command. The command is, be angry. But it says, be angry and yet do not sin. How do we do that? How do we discern when it's legitimate to be angry and when it's not legitimate anger? Today, we arrive at another one of these seeming discrepancies about God's will and living the will of God, and it surrounds the issue of judging. How are we to harmonize the Scriptures declaring that we will know people by their fruits And then the verses that urge us, don't judge one another. Are we allowed to use good and bad fruit to evaluate or judge people or not? The confusion over when to judge and when not to judge, or how to judge and how not to judge, extends even to the very mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who warned in Matthew 7, do not judge lest you be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. But the Lord Jesus also told the Jews in Jerusalem in John 7, judge with righteous judgment. Jesus also told those without sin to cast the first stone at that adulterous woman, you may remember, in John chapter 8. 
But by the end of the discussion and the episode, he was turning to the woman and saying, neither do I condemn you. Yet he also called his fellow countrymen a sinful and an adulterous generation. He told his disciples concerning foolish people in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, do not cast your wonderful pearls before swine. Sounds like a judgment to me. And let us not forget how he condemned the temple leaders with the words, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. So there really is a tension in Scripture. The mind of God puts it all together, and spiritual people are able to discern and put them together, but it does take some thought. Are we to judge or are we not to judge? But which way and when and how much? And then even why? Because that helps. In our Scripture reading, Romans 14, 13 said, "'Therefore let us not judge one another anymore.'" Yet God set up judges in the nation of Israel so they would judge one another. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Paul instructed the churches to judge and remove church members who persisted in gross sin and would not repent from it. He even said, "'I have decided to judge such a man and to have him turned over to Satan.'" John, the Apostle John, exhorted us in 1 John 4.1, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Some evaluation process has to go on there, and in some cases, we'll have to conclude the person's not from God. That's a judgment. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 7.15 and 16, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are what? You remember? Ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them. He wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, though, to me, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. That's what he said. Colossians 2, 16, he wrote to the church at Colossae, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Again, I think interesting. In large part, the ministry here at Hope Bible Church has been set up under the conviction that we need to teach all of the Word of God, proclaim it on Sunday morning and make sure that it develops our discernment, make sure it guides the ministry here, and make sure as we're guided by the truth of the Word of God that we develop an ear for what is error and not fall into the error that there are so many churches and religions that fall into. The, the way we can stay away from error is by constantly listening to the Word of God, and that's why we open it up and exposit it each Sunday. It's our philosophy of ministry. We want to expose sin, we want to expose error, and by doing that, we judge. We judge ourselves first, we judge others, we judge teachings. We do a lot of judging, we do a lot of evaluating. Uh, I've even, I know, mentioned false teachers by name from this pulpit. Why would I do that? So that you would be warned, so you would develop discernment. It really sorrows me at times when I see so many Christians talk about the church needing to be loving, but then not willing to confront error that actually leads people to destruction. People forget that love is based on truth. When you take truth away, you actually lose love also. People talk about love being tolerance, but tolerance of what is evil only hurts the people that you're being tolerant of. It doesn't help them at all. Real love exposes sin and brings down the hammer of judgment upon them so they can see it and repent from it before they actually get judged by the greater judge and the time of judgment that is to come. People don't realize that dealing with us is a very small thing. If they feel bad and they feel judged and they feel embarrassed and they feel guilty now, that's a lot better than feeling the torrents of hell later. Wouldn't you agree? It's better to deal with us, I think. 
It's a confusing time in which we live. Christians used to have a very clear understanding of what was right and wrong. Fornication was wrong. If you live in a relationship that is a sexual relationship before marriage, outside of marriage, you are not doing the will of God. That was so clear. Now people seem to be confused about that. Homosexuality, that's easy. You don't even need the Bible to know that's wrong. Nature teaches you that. Role reversals in the home, wrongful divorce. These things used to be easier for the church, and now everyone says, well, let's be loving, let's not judge. Of course, we know that people in the world hate it when Christians judge them. But have you ever noticed that non-Christians have no problem making the harshest judgments against Christians? Even while the words are coming out of the unbeliever's mouth, don't judge me, man. They're judging us for judging them. Unbelievers, if you listen to them, reek of hypocrisy. Are we allowed to expose hypocrisy or is that judging? Listen, the world has no problem hoisting its standards on us and judging us constantly. Yet where do they get their morality from? Sometimes they have the strongest sense of what is right and wrong and they're getting blue in the face and they're judging other people and I'm listening to them sometimes trying to be objective and thinking, where did they even get that standard of right or wrong? I don't know. Is it just an arbitrary thing? Is it what they want to be right and wrong? And so now it has become right and wrong in their mind? So it's difficult to know sometimes even where they're coming from. We went to the circus. We wanted to get to the circus before they wiped out the elephants, you know. And so we went there and we come out of the circus and I'm just feeling great. It's the first time I've been to the circus. I'm 55 years old. I've never been to the circus. And there's the animal rights people out there yelling at us when we come around the corner. You know? I'm like, those elephants look fine. The tigers, the camels, the horses, you know, I'm like, they're shutting down my circus. Animals in the wild die and get disease and get eaten too, you know? So, I mean, sometimes you're like, Where, what's the standard of ethical treatment? Where do they even get that from? And sometimes it's just what they want to be true. There's no actual basis for it. Obviously, we're not supposed to mistreat animals. That's not the point. The point is, where do people get their moral basis from in which to have such strong judgments against other people? Well, if discernment and evaluation and judgment are not only allowed in the Christian life, but in some cases, certain situations required by God, why would I be preaching a message today on not judging? Well, I'll give you three reasons. The first is because that's what the next verse in James tells us, don't judge. The second is because we need to think with clarity about this issue. Spiritual people need to know the difference between wrongful judging and rightful judging, or right, correct judging. And third, and I'll take a little longer with this, because the evil of judging others tends to be an overlooked subject in conservative Bible-believing churches. Since the world and worldly churches or more liberal churches that play fast and loose with the Scriptures are constantly telling churches like ours to stop judging, we tend to overreact to that and do a lot of judging. We know that there are many worldly liberal Christians and they want their freedom to do as they please and to pretend that God is fine with that and to use love as the cover for that and they don't want to be judged, that is an error that they are making. That's going to be their sin that they'll have to give an account to God for. You've heard it all before. Someone is living in sexual sin, they get caught, they don't confess, they get caught, and then rather than responding in sorrow and repentance, they snap back at the church, who are you to judge me? And then often they leave the church in a huff, ironically judging the church. The conservative Christian, though, tends 
not to know where proper judging stops. We're zealous for evaluations and discernment, and sometimes we go too far. Maybe it's a blind spot that dedicated biblical Christians have. This sin of judging sneaks up on those who I think I can say are earnestly trying to be biblical and to live a godly life before God. Unlike those who play fast and loose with Scripture, those who want to follow Scripture in all that they do and who are more discerning about error can actually overuse and overextend their evaluation and capabilities and become too critical, too harsh, too picky, and sinful in their judgments. It is Bible-believing Christians like us who develop convictions about Christian living, how that applies to different areas of life, and they want to pass on those convictions to their children. They want others around them to have the same standards that they have taken time to develop. Maybe their standards about entertainment or parenting or how to dress or work standards or giving, and there are many other areas. But well-intentioned man-made rules are too often used to judge the spirituality and commitment and maturity and even sometimes the motives of other brethren. And what began with good intent and with some good biblical study ends up overstepping the boundary that Scripture itself draws. So this really is another very practical subject, I think. James has been completely like that. Well, here's another one that you might read quickly and you might dismiss because you don't think that we have a problem with that, but I'd like to really look at it carefully and look at the application from it as well. It's James 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's consider not just the interpretation but the application of this text uh, to ourselves. I'll read it for us. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Judge your brother, judge your neighbor, and along with speaking against. You can kind of see the point. Really here we're seeing another pointed correction from James for that first century Jewish church. It still applies to us, though. Remember the context. It's, it's set in that corrective context about pride. If you look back at verse 6, just to refresh our memory, God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That's His greater grace that He gives. The climax of that section on pride and humility was really in verse 10, where we were exhorted to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, and then He would exalt us as He would see pleased to do that. And hopefully you can see how judging fits the context. Critical speech of others in the body of Christ is a manifestation of personal pride. Backbiting is a form of self-exaltation. Talking against the brethren, someone else in church, one of the believers in church or another church, is also part of that worldly wisdom that James exposed at the end of chapter 3, a kind of wisdom of the world which, as you go into chapter 4 and look at verses 1 and 2, leads to quarrels and conflicts because they're following their desires rather than love. Those who quarrel are prone also to speak against each other in the quarrel. You get in a quarrel, what's usually happening? It gets escalated, it becomes personal, and people begin speaking against one another. There's a heated exchange, and then following the heat exchange, people may even shake hands and say everything is good, but then they go off, and they begin talking about the person they had the argument with, and so more speaking against happens and it spreads. 
So James is really extending his teaching on pride and worldly wisdom to that of how it works in us when we speak against the brethren in church. He's not talking about speaking against just leaders here, by the way. It could be any brother in the church. So he tells us that those who are humble and those who follow God's gentle wisdom don't speak hurtful or critical words against the brethren, and thus in that they also do not judge the brethren. Now this short section neatly divides in two parts. First, a command, followed by the larger section, which is really the reasons for the command. And we'll just use those two sections to generate some questions and just make it two questions from this. The first would be for us to work on defining what sinful judging is so we can separate that from proper evaluation and biblical discernment. So we'll just call it this. What is sinful judging? And that's probably all we're going to have time for today. What is sinful judging? And then we'll move on to why is this kind of judging wrong? It's going to take us a little bit of time because I want to go to other passages of Scripture travel there and see what they have to say as well. So let's tackle this question, what is sinful judging? Look again at the beginning of verse 11 where it says, do not speak against one another brethren, and then add in, he who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Notice how they're linked. And also notice that we're talking about the brethren. James is concerned how we think and speak, how we think about and speak to one another in the body of Christ, what we say about one another in the body of Christ. Since we're brethren, we should be treating each other that way, like, like a family. That's the undergirding truth here. We're really bound to one another. We're a family of God. You know, you don't choose your family, right? You don't, you don't really choose your family. You're born and boom, they're your family. And in the body of Christ, you may think that you decided to follow Jesus, but God caused you to be born again. And then you don't really have any control over whoever else gets born again. And they're born again. Boom, they're there. And then you gather in a church, and that's kind of all designed by God. So he wants us to get along. And one of the best ways to control that is how we talk about one another and to one another and control these these conflicts. We're not enemies. We're brethren. We do disagree. We have different ways of approaching things. Some things we like about each other. Some things we do not like about each other. And we can get past all of that, I think. And we can, um, through love, learn to, to work on all those things. So speaking against a brother in church and judging a brother in church is wrong. And it does deserve correction, so James is doing that. Why does it deserve correction? Well, it's not loving. It hurts the unity of the church. It causes more conflicts. It flows out of quarrels and conflicts. We're going to have quarrels and conflicts. We have to control those. Furthermore, please notice that speaking against a brother is tantamount to making a judgment. Speaking against another inherently involves some kind of a condemnation. And that's the connection there. If I'm going to take time to evaluate something and then speak against it, that's because I've made a judgment already in my mind. And that's why they're coupled here by James. The one speaking against the brother made a judgment and found the person wanting in some way. Maybe the judgment is so severe that he thinks this person really ought to be ostracized by the Christian community and sent out. And some groups can, can do that. They can start saying, you know, we're going to get rid of this person and get rid of that person. This person's not a Christian. This person's not a Christian. Look at how they live. And it can actually result to talking them out of the community of believers. It can get severe, in other words. Now, James does not explain exactly what he means here again. So the meaning has to be derived from the words themselves, from the context, and then to go out to some correlation in the rest of Scripture to guide us. So let's start with the word itself. 
term that's translated by the NASB, which I preach from, speak against, is kata laleo. It's a compound word. It has a prefix, kata, which either means down, from, or against. Here, it would mean against. And then a very common verb to speak, laleo. So it literally means to speak against. So that's a pretty good translation, to speak against. Yet, interestingly, you turn in the NASB and you go to other places where kata laleo is used, such as 1 Peter 2, 12, and it's not translated that way. It's translated a little bit more narrowly. There it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the things in which they slander you, that's the same word, as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Also, 1 Peter 3.16, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are, here it is, slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Good advice. But the NASB chose to translate here, speak against, and there, slandered. King James here also has, speak not evil of one another. If you have the ESV, it says, not to speak evil. The Holman says, don't criticize. The NIV says, don't slander. So there's a little bit of difference in those terms. The corresponding adjective to this term in Romans chapter 1, verse 30 is translated slanderers. Some have backbiters. Now, to speak against somebody obviously would include slander, the defamation of someone's character. But speaking against somebody is really broader than slander. Slander is a form of deceit. Slander involves false charges against somebody, falsely tearing down their reputation, defaming them. It says a brother is worthy of rejection, but that reasoning is based on a lie. Speaking against a brother would include that, but it would also include any form of speech aimed against a brother which would also include things that are true, yet unnecessarily harsh or critical. It would include critical speech, which does not help, does not build up, does not express love. It would also include a challenge to someone in authority, like a pastor or a deacon or someone like that. Um, in, in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 8, God asks those that spoke against Moses, why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So there's a speaking against the authority there as well. It would also, I think, include prejudicial comments. It would include unwarranted conclusions against the person, that is. Too harsh of a criticism. It doesn't exclude all criticism, but too harsh of criticism. Spreading around accusations which might be true but haven't even been confirmed yet or casting aspersions on someone's character, denigrating their motives, having judgmental attitudes. Galatians 5.5 warns when Christians get too critical of each other, warns about biting and devouring one another. That, that's quite an image, isn't it? And that can be done with words. See, it is commonly accepted that you can convey negative information about others if that information is true. Right? I mean, that's kind of more accepted. Most people think, well, it's true when someone says, why are you saying that? Because it's true, but this seems to even forbid that. If the intent and the outcome is not good, it's wrong to pass on damaging information, even if it's true. Why is it being passed on is the point. 
Why is it being passed on if it's not meant to help? There are situations where the information can be passed on to help, but if it's not meant to help, you're not part of the solution. If it doesn't really build up, if it doesn't solve a problem, what is it being spread about for? Wow, Pastor Tom has sure given us a lot to think about through this passage in James. He also gave us plenty of other scripture to help us out when we are tempted to judge or gossip or let our tongues go wild. Let's commit to Paul's exhortation to the Philippians. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let's think and speak about these things. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leek, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time on Discover Hope, Pastor Tom will continue to walk us through James chapter 4. From this passage, he's going to help us unpack how we can judge rightly, avoid idle talk, gossip, and slander. As we avoid all the negatives pointed out here, he will also steer us in the right direction, keeping Jesus at the center of our focus and not the shortcomings of those around us. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.